We're talking about the uncontrollable sin, and, and that's coveting. And with respect to coveting, we've been uh, reviewing week by week and identifying there's a couple things that when we think about coveting from a biblical perspective, a couple things to keep in mind. Uh, number one is that coveting counts. Um, it was Jesus that made coveting count again. And he pointed out that in order to clear the bar of God's expectations, we had to control not only our behavior, but our thoughts and our feelings. But Jesus said, said, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. People thought that as long as you didn't hurt anybody physically, that you were clearing the bar of God's standard. And what Jesus did, he raised the bar of God's standard to require not only controlling behavior, but controlling thoughts and feelings. And that's a much higher bar to have to clear. He didn't just apply it to murder and violence. He applied it to sexuality. He said, you've heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So prior to Jesus coming, if you didn't um, have an affair, you could believe that you were clearing the bar of God's standard. And when Jesus got done, he had raised the bar to such a height that even thinking about it constituted a violation of the commandment, which is a very, very high standard, unachievable. But Jesus did indicate the coveting counts, and he indicated as well that coveting is uncontrollable. Well, Paul says, I would not have known what sin was except through the law. For I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had not said, do not covet. But sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, produced in me every kind of covetous desire. For apart from law, sin is dead. And what Paul pointed out is that when we are trying to clear the bar of God's standard in order to stave off his judgment and earn his blessings, our attempt to clear the bar will actually cause us to do the things that he has said to us not to do. If we try to control our anger in order to clear the bar, it's going to produce more anger. If we try to control lust in order to clear the bar, it's going to produce more lust. That's what Paul is pointing out. The law and the commandments, they stimulate the very behaviors they prohibit, which makes dealing with coveting very tricky. Coveting counts and coveting is uncontrollable. So what do we do? And what we've talked about is trying to figure out an approach that would allow us to manage things that we really can't control. And what we've talked about doing five things starts with being real and admitting the thoughts and feelings that we have. Be real and then be still. And be still is thinking about what God says, because he does address us, even with our understanding of doing things that violate the covenant. He says, be still.
before you try to fix anything, God says, I am God. I will be exalted in the nations and on the earth. And speaking to us, he says, I will never leave you. I will never cast you adrift and I will never forsake you. Be real, be still, and then speak freely. To speak freely, not just with one another's, but with him, learning gradually, and we'll talk about this today, of coming into God's presence and telling him what it is we need. That's to speak freely. And if we learn, and as we learn to be real, to be still, and to speak freely, then we will find the ability to wait perseveringly. It will allow us to not have to get what we need right now, to wait perseveringly and respond gently. What we've been saying is that practice makes perfect, and that's what we're going to talk about today. The maturity that allows us to be real, to be still, and to speak freely takes time to develop and requires endurance. Oh, it really is true that with respect to gaining some of these abilities that practice makes perfect, it's not something that God is going to do by some quick whoosh of some type of spiritual capacity. Uh, what it says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given him. When it says mature and complete, lacking in nothing, that's not talking in the context of moral perfection. It has to do more with being usable. Think of yourself as somebody to and through whom God could communicate and do on the earth what he wants to do. To be mature and complete, lacking in nothing, is to be usable. And what it suggests here is that if we're going to be usable to God, there is a tool that God will use to cultivate usability, and that tool is perseverance. God is then, in order to allow us to be useful, going to put us in situations where we would leave if we could, but we can't, and we have to remain under a difficult circumstance. The things we learn as we struggle with remaining under unwanted, unwelcome circumstances, that ability to think about and to deal with our expectations and having to endure something we don't want to necessarily endure, that ability is what allows us to become more usable. That's what it suggests. So how does God develop this kind of perfection? How does God develop usefulness? He leads his children into circumstances that call for endurance that calls for perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature complete, not lacking anything usable. Perseverance is the doorway to usefulness. There is a barrier, though, 
Perseverance doesn't come easy. We don't like to persevere. And there are things that get in the way of perseverance that cause us not to want to persevere. And anxious thoughts is one of them. Look what it says. The seed that fell among thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. But the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart, who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering, produce a crop. It says, being choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures. Let me give you a sense for what it means, the word to be choked. Jesus was with a bunch of people in the village, and he was in a particular house, and he was doing a lot of healings there. And so when he left the house and was going and walking around the village, people thronged him, wanting for him to heal me, heal me. And if you picture then Jesus coming out into a village trail and people inundating him, that's the image for choked. And it says life's worries, riches, and pleasures choke the word. It doesn't throttle it, but we are besieged with so many thoughts about worries and riches and pleasures, and they are so insistent that it crowds out the ability to think about his word. So he communicates things to us, and we want to keep these things in our mind. But what ends up happening, our minds are besieged by all these invading thoughts, and it causes our ability to focus on the word to kind of get pushed to the side. That's what that Jesus talks about with respect to the problem with human anxieties, and all of us deal with them. Human anxieties choke out divine promises. Our anxieties can suffocate God's promises and keep us from persevering. Um, what we want ends up drowning out what he says. Worries, riches, and pleasures desires, this is what I want, cravings, passions, covetings, they rise up within us and cause our minds not to be able to focus on the promises that he wants us to focus on. Um, how can we deal then with anxious thoughts? With thoughts that are going to crowd into our mind. How can we deal with that? That's what we're going to talk about, and that's what Paul talks about in the book of Philippians, where he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Here are the commands. It says, be joyful, be gentle, don't be anxious. Easier said than done. Be joyful. Be gentle. Don't be anxious. The real question, so there's a clear what here, isn't there? 
There's a clear what. Be joyful, be gentle, and don't be anxious. The question then becomes, and it's, a, it's an important question, a good what without a good how is pretty useless. Do you agree? If there's a goal, but I can't accomplish the goal, then it doesn't really do much good for me. So the question then is, there's a what here, okay? But then the question becomes, how? How is it that we are to be able to have room in our thoughts for the things God wants us to think about when our minds are being besieged by worrisome thoughts? Um, it talks about God's peace. It says, the peace of God, which transcends all understanding. That word transcends all understanding. It's, it's, it only, it has the sense that it outranks understanding. It has the ability to influence understanding. God's peace, which is able to exert influence over human understanding, will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. God's peace protects our hearts and minds. We've talked about this before. UN peacekeeping forces. When US, UN peacekeeping forces go to a locale, they don't put flowers in the muzzles of their gun. It's not like peace and love and here's a flower. They're, they are a military, kind of, they, they're military individuals who erect a protective perimeter and keep unwanted individuals from occupying the place where they are creating protection. When we think of peace, God's peace, that's what, that's the picture. God's peace erects a protective perimeter around our thoughts so that it gives room for his promises to, to take root. They're not pushed away by so many anxious thoughts that they don't have an ability to take root. Without his peace, our minds are capsized by what if and oh no. What if this would happen? Oh no, and then what if that? Oh no, and then what if, and oh no. And these kind of thoughts and feelings, do you find that we really don't ask for them to come into our brain? They end up showing up. Have you ever, have you ever thought about what you're thinking about? Our thoughts are kind of like monkeys. They, they swing from one branch to another, and then you think about, how in the world did I get here? You know, I was thinking about that over there, but then my thought went, swing over there, swing over there. And, and before you know it, I'm thinking, and that's, that seems to be the way uh, our thoughts are. Without his peace, our minds are capsized by, what if? Oh, no. What? Oh, no. Uh, God's peace isn't a feeling then. And so whatever this talks about, the peace of God it doesn't mean that you're going to have this peaceful feeling that's going to overwhelm the worrisome feeling. The peace of God is not a feeling. It's a fact, and it's a power. How do we access that peace? Um, what it says, God dispatches his peace to protect our minds and hearts when we present our requests to him. That's what it says um, in verse 6. Do not be anxious about any, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. That's 
be conditioned. And then it says, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Um, as we present our requests to him, his peace protects our hearts. Um, we talk about the fact that God knows what we need. So why do I need to pray to God if he already knows what I need? I don't really need to inform him of what it is that I want. But what he tells us here, the thing that we accomplish when we tell God and approach him with our needs is that he in return dispatches his peace to create a protective perimeter around our thoughts, allowing our thoughts to focus on him and his promises to such a degree that it will allow our faith to continue to grow. That's what God doesn't necessarily promise to give us everything we ask for. But he does say that even though we're not going to get everything we asked for, even though we haven't received everything we've asked him for, that there is something that he tells us, approach the throne of grace and speak freely with me, ask me for what you want. I might not give you what you want, but what I will give you is what you need. In a greater and greater degree, I will cause my peace to create space in your thinking so that you will be able to think about me, God says, and my promises to you, and you'll understand that you are not alone. Would you agree with me? Anxious thoughts, worrisome thoughts, worries, riches, pleasures, they make us feel pretty alone, don't they? Worries make us feel pretty alone. You know what God wants to do in the midst of that worries? Not necessarily take away worrisome things, but bring himself into the picture. And would you agree that if you're thinking about the things you're worrying about, and we worry about all kinds of things. Think about what you're worried about. You know, you're in a room, okay? You're in a room, and all the worrisome thoughts are in your room. You know, they're crawling all over the place, bouncing on the wall. You bring God into that room, and he's big, and you know what he says to you? Be still. I'm going to be exalted. I will never leave you and never forsake you. It causes our focus to be less challenged by the things and more focused. Yeah, that's right. If you're with me, what am I worried about? And that's that's the kind of thing God develops. Um, God when we present our requests, he doesn't promise immediately to eliminate our tension. The fact is what God will put us in, put us in places where we will experience tension and we will persevere. It's not possible to endure without feeling tension. If you're in a place that you'd rather leave but you can't, there's going to be tension in that place. Now, what God says, in that place of tension, I want you to present your request to me. It would be nice, I guess, if he says, and I'll make the tension go away. That's not what he says. I will create space so that in addition with the tension that you feel, you're going to be able to have access to my promises, and that's going to be a powerful thing. That's what he says. That's what his peace allows. He wants us to learn to approach him 
when we're distressed. Presenting our request to God comes first. We don't naturally approach God when we have anxious thoughts. You know, we tend to do, we'll think of Adam and Eve. They avoided, they ran and hid from him. And then when God was talking to them, then Eve, the guy said, Adam says, well, it's her fault. You know, so what we tend to do naturally is avoid or attack. We hide or hurl. That's natural. What God wants us to learn is not to avoid or attack, not to attack ourselves, not to attack family, not even to attack government. Don't avoid and don't attack. What God wants us to do is approach him, approach him. Tell him and learn to present requests to him so that he'll give his peace, which will erect this protective perimeter. Um, what happens when we present our requests to God and his peace comes? Look what it says. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, and not, not, not and, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. You know what the peace of God opens the door to? Having a positive mindset. Whatever is true, honorable, right, pure, lovely. If, any, if there's any excellence in anything worthy of praise, what he says Think about these things. Um, the peace of God allows us to have a positive perspective. Peace opens the door to pondering what is positive. Remember the, the Israelites in the wilderness where they had one difficulty after another, and it didn't end up going very well for them. If you look at the symptoms, they grumbled a lot. You know, frism, 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 frism. You know, if you listen to ourselves, we grumble. And grumbling is common. Grumbled, they complained. They were hard-hearted. They didn't believe God. When he, and in all these things, and it's interesting, in Hebrews, it boils it all down to one root cause. So when you think of the wilderness or think of somebody caught in complaining and caught in worrying, what is at the root of it? And here's what it says. Um, Let us then make every effort to enter God's rest. Enter that rest so that no one will fall by following their example of disobedience. And here's what the writer does. He looks at the Israelites in the wilderness and the millions of graves there and this spiritual pandemic, he says, how in the world can we avoid experiencing that same type of thing? And what he says, they didn't make every effort to enter God's rest. How do you enter God's rest? When you're anxious, how do we enter God's rest when we're anxious? Be real. Be still. Speak freely. Wait perseveringly. 
and respond gently. The first three are critical. Be real. We've got to be honest about the things that perplex us, the things that cause us tension. We try to push them away, but to, but to be conscious of them, to hold them. And be real, be still. And with these things in our hand, listen to what God says. We all have things in our hands, that, things in our life that we don't want. Would you agree? Do you have something in your hand? Something that, re that represents, I have something in my hand that I really wouldn't have. It's something that I have to deal with that I don't want to deal with, or I don't have something in my hand that I want. All of us have something in our hand that makes us nervous. And you know what God wants us? He says, be real about that. Don't pretend. I already know. And be real and be still. So with those things in your hand, here's what God says to us. Be still. I know you have that thing. I am God. I'm going to be exalted. And in the end, I'm going to get what I want. And here's what I want. I promise you that I will never leave you. I will never cast you adrift. The image, we've talked about it, it's a boat attached to a dock. You untie the boat so that it is caught in the current and just flows. God says, I will never do that to you. I will never untie you so that you are being drawn by the currents of fate. I will not do that. I will not cast you adrift, and I will not leave you behind. I will not leave you in a place where you're undefended. God promises that. And so he said, be real, be still. And then what he wants? Withholding our difficulties in his hand. In the, you know what he wants us to do? Talk to him. You know, God, thanks for who you are. I have this, and, and, I, and I'm really concerned about this. I'm concerned about that. And give me what I need today in order to deal with that. God doesn't promise that he's going to take everything away, but he tells us as we learn to come to him, we will start to experience his peace. Um, it's natural to ponder what's negative. Would you agree that it's very easy to be drawn away into fear-based negative thinking? Something that's frightening is very compelling um, and we, and again, we live in a time where rhetoric is very polarized. You don't, you know, so what, what do we need? We're assaulted by things. What we need less government and we need more government. We need less Republicans. We need less Democrats. You know what God's solution is? It's not less anything. It's more. Peace, not a feeling. The divine peace that protects our hearts when we present our request to him. That's what God wants to give us in the midst of things that are frightening and concerning. God's solution is more peace. Practice presenting our request to God. I know you already do this. We have lots of concerns. Economy, inflation, Roe v. Wade. Lots of concerns. You know what I'm going to encourage us to do? Practice makes perfect. Be real. Identify the things you really think and feel. Don't dismiss them. Be real. Be still. Because what God will say, 
I know the things, look, I am God. I am going to be exalted in the nations and on the earth, and I see who's in charge in America and in Russia, and I am not worried, God would say. Be still. I am God. I'm going to be exalted in the nations and on the earth. In the end, my things are going to win. And here's what I want you to know. I am not going to leave you to be drawn away by any force. Might that, mean, that doesn't mean you're not going to go through hard things. But I'm going to be with you in those things. And that makes them different. Would you agree? To go through something difficult when you're not alone? When he is with you. That's what he wants us to learn, to experience and to understand. Um, talk to him about how you feel about things. About Roe v. Wade. Practice makes perfect. Um, present your requests. Ponder what's admirable, right, pure, lovely, any excellence, anything worthy of praise, and repeat. That's what it says. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. Um, put it into practice. It's easier to talk about talking to God than it is to actually talk to him. You find that? You know, you try to talk to God, and boy, I never noticed that, that that picture on the wall, that's really crooked, and we can think of all kinds of things to do. And I'm not just saying you, we. this is kind of what we do. It really does take some time to learn. And I'm going to suggest that we increase our ability to approach the throne of grace, but I want you to listen to me. We have a very deep root where we don't approach people with what worries us. We try to fix it. And it's the same thing with God. It takes time to learn to express our thoughts and anxieties to God. It's like building a muscle. It's not going to happen overnight. However, a couple of practical applications. Um, practice in non-crisis times if we're going to come to a place where we can call out to God in the midst of things that are very anxiety-producing, we can't wait for things to become anxiety-producing to practice. At that time, we're going to get washed out to sea. So here's what I would suggest. Not every day, but just little by little, practice this. Practice what? Be real. When you get up in the morning, you know what, God, thanks for today, and I'm really looking forward to this, but I'm not looking forward to that. Be real. Be still. And think about what God says to you. Be still and know that I am God. I'm going to be exalted in the nations and on the earth. I will never leave you or forsake you. Okay, then what God would say, what do you need from me today? God, give me, we, we've talked about two things to ask God for. The one is from James. If anyone lacks wisdom, you know what you could ask God for? God, I'm going to need wisdom today. Wisdom that allows me to stay in a place that I'd probably rather not be. Give me the wisdom to be able to, to endure this place. 
Well, that's a good thing to ask for, isn't it? Be real, be still, speak freely, ask for wisdom. God, give me wisdom today. And just so you know, wisdom won't always be God giving you the front spot right in front of Walmart again. You know, we think about wisdom as something that allows us to get what we want. And, you know, I was really in a tough place and God gave me wisdom and I came off great. God's wisdom doesn't always allow us to get nice things. It allows us to endure. Um, wisdom, that's one thing we could ask for. Now, we've already suggested one other thing we might ask for. Another thing that's really good to have when you're experiencing things that are troublesome, what would the second thing to ask God for be? He's going to give it to you, his peace. Give me peace. God, give me strength today. Give me your strength. Give me your peace. And as we practice that, that doesn't need to take an hour. Little by little, we cultivate a habit. First thing in the morning, last thing at night, doesn't need to go for an hour. Practice thinking towards him. Be real, be still, speak freely in non-crisis times. And what you're going to find, little by little, your ability to grab anxiety and grab his peace will increase. Little by little. Um, the second thing and the last thing. Learn to approach God in order to endure tension, not eliminate it. When we experience God's peace, it doesn't mean that we feel wonderful. You know, sometimes we call out to God and, oh, I'm still anxious. You know, something's wrong with this. You know, and, you know, so we, you know, it's, it's, it's busted. Nothing's busted. You know, the fact is that you're tension because there's things to be tense about. There's real, there's real things that you're dealing with. And God's not going to give some type of erasure thing. What he will do is say, he will be with you in these things. So you're not approaching God. That's the last thing I'm going to say, but I'd like you to remember this because I've forgot it a lot of times that I still get challenged. You're not approaching God in order to eliminate the tension. You're approaching God in order to endure it. It's not about elimination. It's about endurance. And what God knows is that when and as we present our requests, experience his peace, sense that he's with us on the road, it becomes a little bit easier to trust him. Little by little by little. Let's stand for closing prayer. Father, it's it's a we get caught up. We don't have to ask to become anxious. Those thoughts are there automatically. We we can't keep them at bay. You say that your peace, if we present our request, little by little, your peace will erect a protective perimeter. It's not like it's not that it will do that overnight. It's 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 like a muscle that grows over time. And we feel that, well, I must be doing something wrong because I talk to God, but I still feel anxious. There's nothing wrong with that. We have to learn to present a request to you, little by little, over time, and your peace becomes a little bit deeper. It's not that our tension leaves, but we feel less alone, little by little by little. Thanks for that, and I pray that you would help us to practice these things, because with respect to usability, practice makes perfect. In Jesus' name, amen.